And while the children are going, um, would you please find your Bibles, take your Bibles, and turn with me this morning to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Have that open in front of you, Ephesians chapter 5, and let's ask for God's help this morning. Father, once again, here we are, and just like we do every Sunday, we want to pause for a moment now and ask for help. So God, we pray, would you, would you bring faith and hope and healing and joy through your word to us this morning? We know you're eager to do that. You love to give good gifts. And so, Father, we pray. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we look at some verses here, um, I want to just take a moment to give you a little sense of where we're headed as a church over the next few months. I think it's good for us to do this every once in a while so that we can be together anticipating some things. I have felt over the past months a growing pastoral burden. Um, I want you to know, I hope you know this already, I love being a pastor. Um, This is a great joy. Um, Yes, there's challenges, heavy things, of course, but I am so grateful for the privilege I have to be not just a pastor, but your pastor here. And I'm excited about another year of getting to do that. And over the past several months, I've had, as I've seen the new year approaching, a steadily growing pastoral burden. Now, what I mean by that when I say burden is a desire toward you for your spiritual good. I've felt that a particular burden for our good, something I really want us to know and to have, something I feel it's really important for us to know and to have in our hearts, and and this is it, a clear sense and a deep awareness of how Christ is toward us now in our weakness. I have felt this growing. I've been increasingly eager to share this from God's Word with you. We're going to do that in two weeks. In fact, I'm going to take two weeks to do that because I feel it's so important for us. So on January 19th and 25th, that's where we're going to go. And and that's going to set us up for an extended time in John's Gospel looking at the series title is going to be Words of Life from Jesus. And we'll spend February and March and April, and I am very much looking forward to that. But I have also felt a desire to start the new year with a couple just very foundational things, kind of reorienting things, things we know already, but things we need to be reminded of probably at least on a yearly basis. Just two foundational things for the Christian life. Trust toward God and love toward one another. Trust 
completely trusting God and loving, not just letting love be some kind of vague, fuzzy thing, but actually loving each other. And it's those two things that I want to occupy our attention on these first two Sundays of 2020. Today, next Sunday, which is our 21st anniversary. So that's how we're going to spend the next four months of this year, the first four months of this year. And I believe it's going to be good. I think very good. I'm not talking about the quality of the preaching there. I mean, I hope the preaching is good. But what I mean is that I believe that what God has for us as a church is going to be really good. So be here faithfully, be here expectantly, eager. Make that a priority and God will do good things for you and in you. He'll do good things for us and in us. In fact, perhaps you might consider devoting yourself to praying in a new way for God to do good things for our church in these months ahead. All right, let me call your attention this morning to just two verses from Ephesians chapter 5. Get this image in your head. Paul is writing this letter to a church, a young church in the largely pagan city of of Ephesus. But within that large city, there is this community of Christians. And they meet together faithfully on the Lord's Day, every Sunday, Sunday by Sunday. And one of those Sundays, one of the elders of that church stands up to read a letter that the Apostle Paul has written to them. Paul greets them. And he tells them how much he prays for them and how thankful he is to hear about their faith. He reminds them of the glorious gospel. It is by grace you have been saved. And he reminds them of God's glorious purpose to bring that gospel throughout the entire world, just like it came to them. And he reminds them of who they are. They're a body united with new life. All of these things Paul is really eager to communicate to them. And just before he closes out his letter, he addresses a handful of practical concerns, and he begins with these words. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, I don't know about you, but I am struck reading my Bible at times I mean, I find it so interesting, the variety of different levels at which the Bible speaks. There is, as we've recently seen, this kind of grand, historic level, God moving in history, his plan unfolding over centuries. We saw this in the weeks before Christmas, God's plan from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, the promised one. And that anticipation of the promised one coming, and then he comes, and he brings salvation, and then he promises to come again to fully establish his kingdom in righteousness and peace. The Bible speaks on that level. But the Bible also speaks to our very specific, ordinary daily lives, doesn't it? Speaks to our living day by day, which is 
so often taken up in how we relate to others around us. God has very specific instructions in his word for us, and there's some of that right here. Walk in love. As Christ loved us, walk in love toward one another. Not just some vague feelings or thoughts. No, walk. Live out your real relationships actually loving each other. So, Christian, brother, sister, let's place ourselves under the authority of God's word this morning and understand what this means so that we can do it. Let's start by asking the question, what exactly is this love? It can be really challenging to define what love is. You ask a dozen people, and you're going to get a variety of different responses as to what love is. And in those responses, I think you're going to see two tendencies to veer one way or the other. Some people will veer off into this definition that's kind of feelings-based, Love is an emotion, love is a feeling, but defining love that way can be very dangerous because we all know feelings are not very reliable. They are susceptible to circumstances and to changes, so what happens to love when feelings change? Or we can veer off in the other direction into a purely action-based definition. Love is what you do, it's how you act, love is a decision. So which is it? What is this thing that God's Word is saying should characterize us as a body? That's what he means when he says walk in love. This should characterize our regular, ongoing interactions with one another. Well, let's get a biblical picture of this love. Love by believers toward other believers in a local church. I want you to notice something extremely important here. Look at Ephesians 5.1 again. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. He's picking up what he said in chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then he says immediately, you be imitators of God. You see the flow, right? Forgiving one another just as God forgave you, you imitate God. In fact, when Paul says imitate God, he's summarizing pretty much everything he has said in chapter 4. That's why he begins chapter 5 with that word, therefore. He's drawing a conclusion. Yes, imitate God in this area of forgiveness. You forgive one another as God forgave you. Imitate God but also in the many other ways that he's been talking about. As God speaks truth, you speak truth. Imitate God. Chapter 4, verse 25. As God is full of grace, you be full of grace. Imitate God. Chapter 4, verse 29. As God has been kind to you, you be kind to each other. Imitate God. He says that in verse 32. Listen, here's what Paul is saying there in verse 1. What you've experienced from God, duplicate. Replicate that toward each other. Imitate him. Look at what God does and copy that in how you live. But then notice in verse 1, Paul adds something. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What Paul is saying there, in fact, what he's emphasizing there, is that the leading thing, the main thing that you have experienced from God is his love. You are beloved 
children, greatly loved children, dearly loved children. And what he's speaking of there is not just kind of some general love that God has for everybody in the world, you know, the love that, that gives life and breath and food and rain and protection and family and all kinds of evidences of his, of his truth and his power and his greatness. I mean, it's an incredible thing to be the recipient of that kind of love. That should cause all of us, every one of us, to turn to him in gratitude and recognize that he is God. But that's not what he's talking about here. Now, this is the love of a father. You are beloved children. The kind of love a good father has for a child is very focused, kind of rescuing, adoptive love of God that he feels specifically for those who are his I feel this as a father. I'm a dad. You know, you look at your kids. I remember Bev and I, a long time ago, we watched a movie and there was this moment in it where the dad comes to the mom, the kids are all in bed sleeping, and he just sticks his head in the door and he says, let's go look at the kids. And, you know, they're sleeping, let's just go look at them. You know what? I still feel that. I just want to look at my kids. Makes them feel a little uncomfortable sometimes. <laughs> but I, it's like there's something, I just can't take it all in. This thing, this amazing privilege you have, the love you feel for them, it's overwhelming at times. Your heart aches for their good. It feels at times like it's more than your heart can contain. I mean, this powerful emotion that as earthly parents we can feel, and that is like a tiny fraction. It's a small representation of God's heart toward us. See what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Beloved children. You see it there in your Bible? Let your eyes rest there. More importantly, let your heart rest there. That is not some general love. That is love focused and fixed personally and particularly on you as an individual person that God has brought to himself. He loves us with tenderness and compassion and patience and faithfulness, especially faithfulness. Listen, if you are a Christian, you are a dearly, patiently, tenderly, faithfully beloved child. And you are secure because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, you should rejoice in that. And you should rest in that. You should live in that, loved by God. So now back to the point. What you've experienced from God, duplicate. Don't miss this. Living in the truth and depth of God's love for me is the key to me loving others. John says this. This is 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. So the big question, of course, is have you? Have you come to know and believe the love that God has for us? For you, Friends, there's a principle here. It's a huge principle. I think it's the key principle of the Christian life. God did something first. He loved us. 
in Christ. And what God has done for us is what enables and motivates us to do what he calls us to do toward one another. Knowing and believing the truth and depth of God's love for me is the key to my growing in loving others. The Apostle Paul, I tell you, he's, he's brilliant. At the, or the Apostle John, I mean, is brilliant. Apostle Paul is brilliant too. But the Apostle John is particularly clear. I think the, the clearest and most concise statement of this, this is again from 1 John. We, we love because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us, and we are able to love one another because he first loved us. Just listen to this. This is 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then John summarizes this all when he says, we love because he first loved us. Do you see the principle? What God has done for us through Christ enables what he's calling us to do, to love each other. He's given us new life. He, he made us alive spiritually, and from that new life springs New desires, new attitudes, new abilities, new ways of thinking, new ways of acting. We're new creatures. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. So what Paul is saying in verse 1 to the church, he's saying what you've experienced from God as beloved children, as loved children, replicate, duplicate, imitate. Because he first loved us, we can love one another. So walk in love. So that's what love is. It is a way of being with one another that flows out of a heart that has been changed, radically transformed by the love of God in Christ toward us. Or to put it negatively, we're not going to be able to love if we haven't been loved in this heart-changing way. A work, a heart-changing work must first be done by God in us, and that, it both enables us and it motivates us to love one another. Yes, there are things we must do. We'll get to that in just a moment. But because of what God has done and continues to do in our hearts by His Spirit, we're actually able to do this. I mean, it's amazing. Think of this. I, me, I can actually love you. You. You can actually love me. We can actually love one another. So to put what a moment ago I said negatively, now positively, if we've been loved by God in Christ, if we've turned and trusted and received the free gift of his grace, his saving, transforming love for us in Christ, we will actually be able to love one another. But there's still another piece to our understanding of love that we cannot miss. Look at verse 2. Um, and walk in love 
as Christ loved us. Paul says, walk in love, carry out your interactions with one another in love, as Christ loved us. Now, what does Paul mean there? What's he saying when he says, walk in love, as Christ loved us? I think you probably know this intuitively, but that little word, as, can mean two different things. It can simply mean two different people are doing the same thing. You know, he is a carpenter as his father was a carpenter. Two people doing the same thing. But it can mean more than that. Not just that two people are doing the same thing, but that they're doing it in the same way. He works with wood just like his father works with wood. The same love, the same skill, the same technique. You see the father in the son. And it's that second fuller, stronger sense that Paul means here. He's not just saying God loves and you should love too. No, he's saying our loving should resemble his. Not only does God's love for you motivate and enable you, but it should also shape how you love one another. We should, we should resemble God's love. We should love one another as like Christ loved us. And the reason that I can be so confident that that's what Paul means is that he does the very same thing only even more explicitly, later in chapter 5, look down at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then having described that self-giving love, he says in verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. So verse 2 is saying not just that Christ loved us, but that he loved us in a particular way. He showed his love to us in a particular self-giving way. So the point is, God's love toward us in Christ is both what enables our love for one another and what gives content to our love for one another. We are to love one another in ways that are willing to give of ourselves for the well-being of one another, just like Christ did for us. All right, I hope we see Paul's point. So now to practical application. What does that actually look like? Well, it looks like all sorts of things. I mean, the Bible is full of ways that we're to purposefully love one another. It is wonderfully rich that way through all of its one another's. Bear one another's burdens. Love each other that way. Encourage one another. Love each other that way. Rejoice with one another. Love each other that way. Weep with one another. Love each other that way. Pray for one another. There's a whole host of ways to walk in love. But in this very same context, Paul highlights two particularly important forms of this love, especially for our life together as a church family. And it's on those two that I want us to focus now in our remaining time. One is found there at the end of chapter 4. We've already glanced at it. And the other is found at the beginning of chapter 4. We'll see it in a moment. Let's start with a closer one, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How can we walk in love? Forgiving one another. So let's just zero in our focus right there and notice... Paul makes that point that we saw earlier very clearly here in connection with forgiveness. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. God's love for you in this way is what enables and shapes our love for one another in this way. So 
you see, we're not only forgiven, but because we're forgiven, we're also forgivers. That's who we are. We're not just recipients of forgiveness. Thank God we are that. We're also givers of forgiveness. Forgive one another. Here is one way, a major way that you walk in love with each other, love one another by forgiving one another. So let's look at this. What does that mean? What does forgiveness mean? That word translated forgiveness in your English Bible is actually, it's from the the root of the Greek word for grace, charis. Literally, that word means act in grace toward one another. Not in pure justice, but with grace. Now that doesn't mean, let's be very clear here, that does not mean that sin is just dismissed or ignored. It's not saying that the offense that happened is okay. No, there's real sin, real offense. It means that I'm not going to act with that sin as the primary defining thing in my relationship with this person. I'm going to act with grace toward the person who sinned. I'm not going to cling to the memory of that offense. I'm going to cease feeling resentment about the wrong done. I'm going to give up the claim for repayment. I'm going to give up the savoring of holding a grudge. I'm not going to keep it in the back of my mind, holding it there for some possible use later. I'm simply not going to deal with this person on the basis of that sin at all. You know, sometimes we may need help to know if we've done something that we need to be forgiven for. But I'm convinced that if the two big H's are present, you know what the two big H's are? Honesty and humility. I think if those are present, you'll know. God's Spirit speaks to our conscience. And when there is an offense and a person asks for forgiveness, then rather than them continuing to labor under that offense, they get loved by being forgiven. That is an amazing thing. Do you see how loving forgiveness is? Now, it will cost you a bit. There's some giving up of self in that. Friends, listen, God calls us to do this, and it will be needed. I mean, you can count on it. I've had to ask for forgiveness so many times. I'm not just thinking about my marriage and my parenting. My goodness, there's plenty to keep me occupied there. I'm talking about here, within the church, with the guys on the pastoral team. Ryan, brace yourself. With fellow elders, with the ladies in the office, with individuals, some of you, I've needed to be forgiven. And over the years, people have asked for my forgiveness for things. So I've been in a position of needing to give forgiveness. So what about you? Any unresolved business here? Or should I say, is there any withholding of love here? God calls us to walk in love. So let's walk in love. Let's be ready and willing to forgive one another and let's actually forgive. Now let's look at the second form that Paul mentions there at the beginning of Ephesians 4, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, here it is, bearing with one another 
in love. You read that and you go, oh boy. What does that mean? Well, bearing with means to bear with. It actually means to endure. To patiently bear with something that itself is not sin, but something that you would prefer would be different. And to do that, not just once or twice, but over time, to endure. Now, let's be clear. There is a category of things that we should bear with, and there are things that we are not to bear with. Listen, if I'm treating Beverly unfairly, or worse yet, unfaithfully, she shouldn't bear with that. And you shouldn't bear with that. You should confront that, and if necessary, discipline that. If I'm harsh or unkind with the other pastors on the team or with the ladies in the office, don't bear with that. Address that, rebuke that, admonish that, and tell me to change. And if I, if I start teaching falsely from this pulpit, do not bear with that. Correct me or replace me. I mean, these are all things you should not just endure. So what are we to bear with? We are to bear with one another's weakness. We are to bear with one another's frailty. We are to bear with one another's slowness. We are to bear with one another's constitutional vulnerabilities. We are to bear with one another's imperfections. Anybody can very happily bear with someone who's perfect. It's in the presence of weakness and frailty that the gospel is put most beautifully on display. As we bear with one another's weaknesses and frailties and imperfections. And of course, this is not, this is not some kind of exasperated, you know, rolling your eyes, just putting up with, kind of bearing with. This is a happy, gracious, humble, knowing that I need people to bear with me too, kind of bearing with one another. You know this, if the heart is not right inside and the external actions are just kind of, you know, polite, first of all, I think people are going to be able to tell that. But far more importantly, that is not godliness. That is not obedience to this. This is real and it's coming from a heart that has been tenderized by the love of God for it. I tell you, I think about my three children over the years working with each one of them, you see their particular vulnerabilities, their particular weaknesses. And yes, those weaknesses could sometimes lead to sin. And if they sin, that's not okay. That needs to be dealt with. But you become aware of weakness, frailty, and you bear with that weakness. At least God calls us to, just like God patiently bears with us. And I know people have had to bear with me not just Beverly and my children, but people I work closely with, the pastors, the elders, so many of you, in fact, to some degree, we're kind of constantly bearing with each other all the time, aren't we? So, for example, I think I've shared this with you before. I can, at times, get very focused. And when I get focused, I can walk right by people. I regularly, as I drive home, 
on Sundays, I, I kind of go over the morning and I can have this vague recollection of a face that I just walked right by. I, I disregarded. So bear with me. And when I'm focused and my dear wife calls something else to my attention, it's not okay for me to get snappish with my wife which I'm very capable of doing and have done many times. That snappishness is not okay. But the weakness of mine in my wiring is something she is learning to bear with. Now, I can try to grow and be quicker in serving my wife, but in the process, she bears with my limitations and my slowness. Now, that's me. That's one of many weaknesses. I'll let you think carefully about what applies in your relationships what people have to bear with in you and what you uh, have to bear with with those around you. And yes, sometimes there will be sin. That's why Ephesians 4.32 is there. That's why we need to forgive. But there will also be a regular need for us to bear with one another. And what an opportunity to walk in love that is. Showing patience with things that simply cannot change real weaknesses, real limitations, and giving patience when things that can change take longer than maybe we'd like them to take. And in the process, protecting, actually protecting one another so that people don't feel exposed in their weakness. What a way to walk in love. And I'm guessing, I'm just guessing that for some of us this morning, there is some very real application and very real obedience that the Spirit of God is laying on your heart right now. Maybe there is someone in this church family that you are annoyed by or have been sinned against by. I'm not asking you to shout out names right now. Maybe you've sinned against someone and you know it. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. But the word that all of us need to hear this morning is walk in love. And that will take the form of real forgiveness and real bearing with. And maybe, just maybe, some very specific transactions need to happen this week in obedience to this word. You need to resolve right now to take steps of healing and of love, brothers and sisters. Opportunities abound. And they will abound in this coming year for us to purposefully and consistently walk in love with one another in obedience to what God's Word says right here, and we have every reason to do so. God has loved us so richly. So every instance of your obedience, of our forgiving and our bearing with, will not just be some exercise of our moral strength, but instead standing on, living in the firm and steadfast love of God for us. We can, in fact, we will walk in love to his glory. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we've heard um, what you've had to say for us. And so now we just pray, God, help us to be obedient for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.